Well, we hear that money is power. A small amount of money can do small things. A lot of money can do much more. But I'm not here to talk about money. Many people think that political power comes from the people. Uh, this idea underlies democracy. Chairman Mao Zedong of China famously said, every communist must grasp the truth. Political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. And we may pray that that does not get tested. Basically, power is the ability to do something or, or change something. Uh, and it can be used for good or bad. Most religions say that power comes from God. Uh, some propose alternate sources of power, good gods and bad gods, but the religions that believe in one God usually say that all power comes from God, or God is all-powerful, as we do. Uh, Chronicles 29, uh, 11, we read, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. That's power. Uh, if you feel powerless, uh, you can turn uh, to Exodus 14, 14, where we read, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And perhaps I should just stop there. But I won't. I'll go on to Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. So of whom shall I be afraid? With a powerful God by our side, we need not fear. In Romans 1.20, the Apostle Paul says that God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. As we saw in our first Bible reading today, one of the most beautiful psalms about the God of creation. Christians believe that God created all things, including all living beings. So the power they have comes from God. God created stars and planets and all the heavenly bodies. So the light and warmth we get from the sun have God as their ultimate source as do gravity and storms and other natural events. As Christians, we need to have some understanding of God's power and be able to give an account of God's power in this world and in our lives. Does he use it for good? And in what ways? Paul in this passage today talks about the power of our God, and that'll be the focus of this sermon because I really want us to delight in the power of God and the way he uses it for our good. And also, I think it will help us to think about the way God uses his power among us here, just the people gathered here. Uh, I don't want to talk about God's power as an abstract idea, but, but what it does in our lives. Now, Paul says God has inspired and enabled faith in the Lord Jesus and love for the people who have come to Jesus in faith. God's power enables both faith and love. Here today and 2,000 years ago, 
to the people Paul was writing to. Paul had done a lot to set up, teach and encourage the churches in Western Turkey in the 10 to 30 years after Jesus died. Those churches were the first to receive this letter, including the church in Ephesus. But Paul does not claim any credit for those growing communities of believers. He gives thanks to God for these early Christians. And that in itself is a mark of God's power. It inspires humility. True humility is the well-informed view that someone is greater than us. Paul was one of the most effective church planters in history, but he gave all the credit to God. Some churches and some Christian leaders have boasted in their own achievements, but Paul did not because he knew and delighted in God's power. Paul was thankful to God for the believers he was writing to. Paul had walked thousands of kilometres and put up with all sorts of opposition and hardship. He met with strangers to tell them about Jesus because he wanted them to know the power and love that there is in Jesus. He didn't talk about himself. And he says he had not stopped giving thanks for them and the faith that they had acquired. Elsewhere, he says he will boast in nothing but the cross of Christ, the means by which people come into this loving relationship with God. Paul also says he has not stopped remembering them in his prayers. Well, well, what, what use are prayers? a great deal if you have a God who promises to listen to those prayers, who keeps his promises and does listen to those prayers and who answers them. Paul knew that praying to God was one of the best things he could possibly do to tap into God's power in this world. Paul prayed for what God had the power to give them which was more than Paul could give them himself. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Wisdom here looks back to the way wisdom is spoken about in the Old Testament. It includes knowledge that is in its essence knowing God and how to live well in his eyes knowing how to please God, knowing how to delight him. The type of wisdom that Jesus summarises as loving God and loving neighbour. And revelation. Paul wants his readers to see the wonder and majesty of God, to see his glory. We might think of the practical things we need for a good life, food, health, a roof over our heads, a way to make ends meet. Elsewhere, Paul shows himself very much alive to those needs. He would take financial support from the churches in northern Greece to Jerusalem to help them through a period of bad drought. But he knew the greatest gift that he could give them, the greatest gift they needed, was to know God and that that knowledge was accessed through prayer. 
Wisdom and revelation were not ends in themselves. They were the ways that they would know God better and enable them to, uh, to engage with him and to feel the power, his power, in their lives. They would be in a better and closer relationship with God because of the power of prayer and God's answers. And this is the source of true joy and happiness. Ultimately, our happiness comes from God's power. Without that power, there would be nothing that would allow us to be happy. We have just been up in the Torres Strait. The islanders there are rightly proud of their culture and history, but it was clear that their delight was in the Lord. You go to Thursday Island and there's a church on practically every corner and people go there. It's one of the most church-attending communities in Australia. Um, And the thing that about it is that they rightly are proud of their culture and history, but it's clear that they do delight in the Lord. They were not embarrassed to delight in the news of Jesus that the first missionaries brought them, which is why it's the biggest festival in the Torres Strait, the coming of the light. For with the news of Jesus, the light had come. The power was on. They had much knowledge before about the created God and their responsibility under God to care for what he had given them, but it did not stop them from the greater wisdom and revelation that came with Jesus, the light of the world. Paul prayed for the early Christians that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been, he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Their faith was not blind hope that things would get better. Their faith was in one who had the power and purpose to make things better. A power that opened up the glorious inheritance of becoming part of God's family, now and forever. It was a power that would see them through any persecution in this life and through death into eternal life. That is real power. Better than any power that comes from the barrel of a gun or from buckets of money. Paul links uh, this uh, this power with God's mighty strength, which he says in verse 20, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. No earthly power can raise a dead person to life, however rich they are. Our paramedics can get a heart going again, but they can't make a beaten, stabbed, crucified, three-day dead body and raise it to life, as the Father did with Jesus let alone raise it into heaven to sit over every authority, power and dominion. Now that's God's power. It is Jesus who has this power, not us. But in a very special way, we have, through trusting Jesus, access 
to God's power to conquer death. Because by faith we can resist the temptations of this world and be carried through death to the new glorious resurrected life as we remind each other each week in our creed. Earthly authorities have always been uncomfortable with the power in the lives of ordinary Christians. Uh, Don't be surprised that they want to persecute even small groups of people meeting in their own homes because there is real power there. The communist governments of the Soviet Union and China and other places banned religion because they could not tolerate any other source of power. In China today, the communist government is trying to reshape the gospel with Chinese nationalism. In services, worshippers must also swear allegiance to the government and sing nationalistic songs along with their songs and hymns. But it's done grudgingly. And it won't work forever, as God's power and his uh, power of salvation will. For as Paul says, Jesus' power and authority are not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And guns and money and political oppression will not work there. Paul concludes this section by saying, And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Usually in Paul's letters, Church means a group of Christians gathering together in a particular place around the word of God. The church in Corinth, the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus. But here it has a much bigger meaning. It means all Christians at all time. The, the universal church, not just the whole of the world, but all ages. All people whose faith is in Jesus Christ. God has appointed Jesus head over everything for all Christians, for all time, for the benefit of all Christians everywhere in every age. It doesn't mean that we can take everything or break laws or anything like that, but that God has created all of this for our enjoyment of him. We have access to God's mighty life-giving and life-changing power through Jesus and his church. And all that sounds pretty good. Better than we can hope for from any source on earth. But how real is this access to God's power in your life today? I know many of you pray. But but how real does this power feel to you? And I want to suggest there's very good reason to believe that all of you feel God's power. And you shouldn't be disheartened by this, but profoundly encouraged by it. In preparing this talk, I came across a sermon from one of America's best-known and respected preachers. He said of his very large church, 
that he knew many of them did not feel the power of the hope Paul is speaking of here. He said they were dull to the glory and power of Paul, uh, the the power that Paul was talking about. And he identified three reasons for this. First, he said they were dull to God's grace and hope because of the blinding, deadening weight of sin in their lives. Second, because they were not fully aware of the magnitude of demonic power that comes against us all and at all times. And third, because they did not fully appreciate what had happened to Jesus and his present role in the universe. In other words, they weren't listening to things about Jesus and they weren't believing in Jesus. Now, and I take it that this preacher knows his congregation and he may well be right for them. But I could not say these three things about you. I'm not blind to the temptations you face and sometimes give in to. Nor am I blind to the doubts and frustrations you feel from time to time. And neither are you from what I see. I take it that your confessions are sincere. That the hope that you get when you take communion, as we will later, is real. I see your frustration with politicians who speak of their faith and then behave badly or seem to ignore the people Jesus cares for most or about God's creation. As I speak to you regularly, uh, some, uh, as I speak with you, some regularly, some every now and again, I'm always struck by how real Jesus is to you. When I sit in on Bible studies, I can't tell you how encouraging it is to hear how you speak of Jesus. It's inspiring. I've seen your tears at the words and actions of some of our church leaders because you feel keenly they are not loving as Jesus calls us to love. They aren't showing to the people of Australia, to the people of Sydney, God's love in his power. I've talked with you about the challenges you feel in your workplaces and families in trying to know how to live out your faith and to love people who don't want Jesus in their lives. You want to channel the power of God's love to people other than yourselves. You take seriously the command to love your neighbour. I've been here long enough to see some of the members of this church face death. And it is a great privilege to sit with people as they are dying. In their last days, I sat with Peggy, Patty, Nina and Margaret Trusty next door. Each died knowing that Jesus had conquered death for them. They knew they had nothing to fear. That Jesus was waiting for them on the other side. I didn't have to teach them anything or assure them of anything. They knew Jesus and what he had done for them and that he lay ahead for them. 
They knew what Paul describes so beautifully here, that Jesus is the source of ultimate power, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Nothing could stop them being with Jesus forever. And that is God's power in action here in Glee. So I see the power of God in you. I see your trust in the resurrection that will be yours as it was for Jesus. I see your trust in the ultimate victory of Christ. I see the power that is so much greater than the power that comes out of the barrel of a gun or from money. I know we all go through ups and downs. At times you may feel that you're only just holding on. But you know that God is there for you and will help you to hold on. He says that he will never let you fall out of his hand. And I know that you know that all you have to do is ask him and he will hold you as tightly as you need to be held because you trust the power of God. But there is one sadness for me in this. While I know that you get the place of the church in God's plans, and you know that the Christian hope Paul speaks of here is one that is best enjoyed together, there are many around us in our homes and families and workplaces who do not They don't see the church as part of God's plan for them. It clearly is in this letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. I know many have been let down by the church over the years, and I know that what we do in church may not suit everyone. But I would really like it if we could reach more people. Part of my hope for this series in Ephesians is to equip us better to grow the church. That is why last week I focused on a couple of issues that have put some people off God, so that if you get into conversations with other people you can ra- and they raise these objections, you know that there are ways to deal with them. They don't have to be obstacles. Predestination and, and God seeking our praise are not things that we can't uh, understand and deal with. Neither sits easily with some of us. But predestination, the way it appears in the Bible, is, you know, when we read it in context, is assurance to people who already trust in God. It doesn't rule anyone out. And similarly, God's Uh, revelation that he seeks our praise, as I said last week, is really just because we enjoy something best when we do actually put our delight in it into words. And that's what we do when we praise God in our prayers and in our songs. And today we've looked at a, a better form of power than anything we see anywhere else. We've looked at the good things that flow from God's power, his love and his forgiveness. And we'll see more of that over the next couple of weeks. These are things that, despite our failures, 
lasts into eternity, when the wars and inequality and suffering of this life will be long forgotten. And in the coming weeks, we'll work on other things in this letter that I hope and pray will bear fruit here in Glebe and among the people who we know, so that we can all delight in God's power. But may I just say before I pray that if anything I've said today doesn't accord with the way that you feel and think about God, you don't trust his power, you don't believe he's real, you have doubts, please, please, please talk with me. Because this is the place where we really can feel God's power and his love and we can receive all that we need to enjoy him forever. Shall we pray? Our loving Holy Father, we thank you that we do not have to look any further than you for the source of all power in this world. We thank you that you have only ever used your power for good. We pray that you will continue to work through us so that others feel and are drawn to the power of your love that can make every day brighter and bring joy even among suffering and carry us from this life into the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join me as we invite God to bring down his love divine through the Holy Spirit.